What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Your ears do not deceive you. It is I, Bug. I'm joined by Tug. No Doug today. He uh, he had a family event going on, uh, so he will be with us later on in the week. But for today, it's just Tug and I. Tug, how are you doing? Doing good, man. I am excited coming off a surprise fantasy win after Mark Andrews just went off for 36 points. But uh, yeah, I'm chilling. I'm happy. And uh, let's get into it. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I, I do want to say, too, uh, before we start, you know, I, I've talked about being a part of the NFL carousel uh, for the better part of, you know, all of last season and then uh, so far this season. And uh, the creator of that show, Alex Fleming, uh, writer for the Florida Sun, he uh, he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly last night. So Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh, when we're recording here. So I just want to dedicate this show and our show later on this week as well to Alex. Uh, great man. Barely knew him, but he, you know, special guy. So uh, to Alex and his family, uh, we're thinking of you and uh, our deepest condolences. Let's get into the news, though. Let's do it. If, uh, if our intro might have brought you down a little bit and you're a Giants fan, the, uh, the first two stories in the news are definitely not going to bring you up because Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones are both hurt. Saquon with an ankle injury, very, very nasty ankle sprain. As a guy that sprained my ankle several times, I, I know that pain. <laughs> Daniel Jones, he didn't know what planet he was on, and he looked like a baby deer learning to walk for the first time going off the field. It is rough for the Giants right now, and it just got a little bit rougher. Yeah, it absolutely is. Not that this is a big kind of um, consolation prize here. X-rays did come back negative on Saquon. In fact, the Giants said it was a little more positive than what they were expecting. That being said, I'm sure everyone's seen the picture at this point of his ankle. Things I'm seeing are saying that's a uh, a hefty ankle sprain, not a high ankle sprain. I forget which way they classified it. Uh, looking at a stage two or three, which if you don't know, ankle sprain stage is just three is the most severe indicates, I think, total tear of the ligaments in your ankle. Stage two is you got some and then stage one is just a minor sprain. So that hurts. Um, and then, yeah, losing your starting quarterback. Uh, that's that's a brutal one, especially when he goes into, uh, into concussion protocol with it. If I'm the Giants, there's zero chance I can't at least be calling Cam Newton because Mike Glennon is not the answer. And the Giants have looked good enough at times. I know their record doesn't show it. They've looked good enough to potentially compete for the NFC East. They're not going to do it with Mike Lennon at quarterback. You can't afford to have Daniel Jones missing the time that he's going to miss in this in concussion protocol, coupled with Saquon Barkley being out, and have Mike Glennon be the guy that you're relying on to try and get you wins. Yeah, you do make a call around and see what's out there for QBs. Absolutely. More injuries. We got a few more. Joe Burrow with a throat contusion. He was released from the hospital today on Monday, and he will be. He is expected to play. I think they got the Thursday night game this week. Absolutely amazing that he was able to go through that entire game on Sunday with Green Bay. I remember he came out for a little bit and then was right back in the game. Pure grit from this guy. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious why a throat contusion might send you to the hospital after the game. 
Uh, it could create some swelling, making it hard to breathe, which only testifies to his grit even further. Thankfully, he was released from the hospital. He is expected to play this week from everything I'm seeing. Um, you know, just a bunch of Tylenol to keep that swelling down. Tylenol, ibuprofen, something like that. A couple more injuries, though. Clyde Edwards-Alaire of the Kansas City Chiefs. He went out yesterday absolutely sloppy on the field. I'm surprised more guys didn't go down with knee injuries. And uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be having season-ending shoulder surgery for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Juju, uh, these are both kind of interesting losses for me because I feel like both guys have you know, been a little overrated. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has definitely had some great games. And same thing for Juju Smith-Schuster. I just haven't really seen either of these guys consistently show up for their teams. Of course, you never want to see an injury to players with the potential like they have, but it is, it's very interesting to see how these teams are going to move forward. And maybe they're going to say, Hey, we don't need them as bad as we thought we did now. I could definitely see that being the case for Juju. Uh, he's been surpassed in my eyes by Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Clyde Edwards Slayer is very interesting to me because I'm watching the way the Chiefs have been playing this year. And one thing is evident to me, and that's everyone is selling out against the pass and everyone is selling out against Tyreek and they're finding a way to slow down Travis Kelsey, too, which means the Chiefs are in a position where they need to shift to that run game. Now they lost their their top back. Granted, Damian Williams is not a uh, he's on the Bears now, isn't he? Damian Williams is on the Bears. There's another D. Williams. Yeah. Uh, that's still on the Chiefs. I think it's Daryl Williams. I'll look it that, up real quick. That might be it. But he he's a good back, but he's not your three down back. And Clyde would have been primed to take over that position and and be that lead horse for them as they're they're shifting their game plans to match what defenses are doing to him. But we won't get to see that now. It is Darrell Williams uh, that we were thinking of there. Yeah, they're they're in a rough spot. They of course had the shuffle, the massive shuffle on offensive line in the offseason that they're still kind of figuring out. And it's just I don't know, something about this Chiefs team doesn't seem right. Obviously with Travis Kelsey and uh Tyreek Hill being slowed down. That's a big part of it, so much so that after this loss to the Bills, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are now your Super Bowl betting favorites. I'm honestly a little surprised it's not the Bills at this point. Yeah, I kind of am too. The The Bucks have some serious issues in pass coverage. Um, hell, Jacoby Brissett just threw for almost 300 yards against him on Sunday. Granted, the score still went the Bucks' way, but it, there's some serious issues in that Bucks defense, more so than I expected. Uh, and the Bills are just playing lights out on both sides of the ball. Their defense is, I think, tops in the league in every category right now. This is absolutely insane that the Bucks are the betting favorites over the Bills. It's, man, I, man. Yeah, you just summed it up right there. Yep. Yeah. Antonio Brown is still, I, 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 it's sick. I, I would say, you know, man, you know, eventually they're going to have some injuries. Not that I want anybody getting hurt, but every, you know, every team has to go through something like that in the NFL. They are so deep. I don't know. I don't. The only injury I think might really kill them is an injury to Tom Brady. But even then, any quarterback you throw back there is going to have at least some success if they can make some simple throws. Yep. So 
last story here. The Las Vegas Raiders are now looking for a new coach. Not because John Gruden was fired. John Gruden resigned. I think we talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that came out last week with John Gruden. Maybe that came out after we recorded. I'm not sure. But he has stepped down after emails have surfaced from 2011 when he was working for ESPN, by the way. And uh, the nature of those emails, you've seen it all everywhere else. And no reason for us to belabor that point too much here. But man... I did not expect the Raiders to be the first team looking for a coach. Granted, it is because Gruden stepped down, and he stepped down because he didn't want to be a distraction to the team. The Raiders really couldn't fire him for this either because all of this happened 10 years ago. It's a very interesting situation when you start looking at some of those things. But I got to give it to Gruden. He knew the writing was kind of on the wall, and he knew that the story was going to become more and more about him week by week and less and less about the team. I, I got to give it to him for at least being man enough to step away from it and be like, look, I don't need to be involved with the Raiders at this point in time. Yeah. So this, this is a tough one. If, if you can think of one thing that, you know, cancel culture throws out there, or if you can think of anything, it's been slapped on John Gruden at this point, misogynistic comments in that email chain. Um, racist uh homophobic every the whole gambit he got the whole gambit uh because some more were released today um reports coming out of las vegas are that mark davis went down to the facility after practice today and specifically asked for john gruden and i think that was a mutual like hey man like bro to bro we we need you to step down and and john gruden did it and I think you're entirely right. You can't effectively coach with all of this around you. So he he stepped down, hopefully giving the Raiders the best chance to succeed. Um, but I'm with you. I did not expect the Raiders to be the first ones looking for the coach. I ha- If I was a bet man, I'd put it on the Jags or the Bears. But uh, here we are. It's the Raiders. Um, oh, man. Some, some of these things said in, this, said in these emails were bad. I felt bad initially because it was 10 years ago. But then you see some of these things that he was saying, and it's – stuff that affects the league today and you're like i i'm sorry so i there's no excuse for any of the things he said like they were still wrong by standards in 2011 absolutely uh just i i don't know i maybe people would kind of turn a blind eye to it instead of speak up against it which is what is happening now the other thing is all of these emails are surfacing because of the investigation of dan snyder and the Washington football team. So you got to wonder, they've been going at this for about two years now. And John Gruden's the first one to go down from all this. I don't know um, if this is specifically tied to that investigation. There is an investigation going on into the Washington football team, having to deal mostly with one of their trainers, I believe. I believe it was their head trainer from back in the day. Either way, it is it was absolutely wild to see ESPN talking about things John Gruden did while he was an employee of ESPN and trying to chastise him for it and chastise the Raiders, but still trying to not say they did anything wrong. It's amazing. Yeah, so so these are these are worse than the Dan Snyder investigations. Uh, two Washington football team trainers have been placed on leave amid federal criminal investigations uh involving the dea so this is is not a good look for the for the football team right now 
That's something they're getting used to at this point. <laughs> I'm done talking about this, though. These emails, all of it, it's awful. We can't. I don't enjoy judging somebody by our current standards based on something they said previously. However, there's no place for that. There was no place for that 10 years ago either. I mean, let's be real here. No non-NFL pro news this week. Uh, just haven't seen haven't seen anything. Maybe maybe I missed something. Maybe we'll have something later on in the week. Still haven't seen anything about if I've been selected for the FCF fan council or not. And I haven't seen anything saying that they officially selected the fan council and notified everybody. So there's still hope. There's still hope. But while we don't have any FCF or XFL or any other spring league news, we do have some college football news. And uh, first story here... <laughs> Kind of like we did with uh, the NFL news, injuries to Eric King. Mike Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be having season-ending shoulder surgery. We talked a little bit about this before, but what do you think the future is going to hold for this guy? I'm I'm not sure. This is a tough one. Um, uh, what's his name? The Miami coach came out and said uh, that whether Derek King's going to use an, like ask for another year of eligibility is still to be determined. It's up to him, but it wouldn't surprise me at this point. Derek King still has a lot more to show. Um, man, this is a tough spot for him to be. I keep saying, you know, Miami's a year away. Miami's a year away. I, I just, I think you could reasonably still say that. I don't think there's anything wrong with making that, uh, that argument or assumption. And especially when you factor in just how crazy the past two years of college football have been, it could absolutely be true. So I don't know. Is it is it going to be worth it to him? How good is his NIL deals? How are those all working out? Is he wanting to go after more money or something? Hey, if he's ready in the spring, we saw what uh, Quentin Flowers was able to do in the FCF. I'm sure a guy like De'Aaron King with a very similar play style to Flowers and arm talent for that matter – would be able to light up the league just as much as Flowers did. I'd love to see him playing for the Beast or somebody. Yeah, it'd absolutely be interesting. Um, you say they're a year away. I, I say they're head coach away. Manny Diaz, I figured out his name, uh, needs to go at this point. He's just not putting it together, and I think that's a lot of the issues they're running into. It's very interesting and it's definitely going to be something worth keeping up on. But injuries aren't the only thing that happened in college football this week. Oh, and injuries oh to God. guys that we enjoy aren't the only thing that happened in college football this week. And we'll talk more about specific games later. Uh, but first, we're get, we'll get to our trench rankings. Don't, or trench ratings, don't worry. But I gotta say, these AP polls, absolute bullshit. You can't look me square in the face and tell me that number three beating number four means that number four drops four spots and number one losing to an unranked two loss team also only drops four spots. But that's oh, why I, we, I can tell you that. Um, yeah. Penn state actually only dropped three spots here. They're at number seven now. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta say, it's kind of surprising that Iowa went, went up to, to number th uh, number two, 
especially after the performance Cincinnati put on, but it's kind of hard to refute that after uh, they beat the number four team in the nation. Yeah, I mean, Penn State is obviously a much better team than Temple. I mean, there's no there's no secrets in that. And you'll notice that our trench ratings aren't all that different from the AP polls, except for uh, Alabama's not in our top 10, which is what we're giving you for free here today. But to kick it off, number one, we've got Georgia. Two is Cincinnati. Three is Iowa. Our top three, very similar to the AP and the coaches poll. Yep. At, at four, we have Michigan down two spots from last week, while Cincinnati and Iowa both climbed. Uh, five, Oklahoma State climbing four spots. Kentucky at six, up one spot. Oklahoma at seven, up one spot. Wake Forest at eight, up three. Ohio State, first appearance in the top ten. They're at number nine, moving up 12 positions. And Penn State, they're rounding out our top ten. Only dropped five spots from where they were last week. The Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC. I feel like there's another Power 5 conference we're not seeing here. <laughs> but again, it doesn't surprise me because a lot of this is based off your strength of schedule and off your record. Um, as the Pac-12 continues to beat up on each other, it's also reflected in our conference ratings. Um, man, it doesn't give them as much of a boost as you'd expect. Yeah, the I, I don't know. The the there's no, you can't convince me to want to watch the Pac-12 anymore. I'm sorry. No, that's got, and that's valid. I will say, looking at this top ten here, I am very intrigued for Bedlam this year. I know it's still a month away and a lot can happen, but damn, that game is going to be interesting. It has become one of my favorite Thanksgiving pastimes is watching that game. You know, I, I think I've mentioned it on here. I've spent a few uh, Thanksgivings in Oklahoma City, uh, just a, a good meetup spot for all of my extended family on my wife's side. And it's it's something else, man. It, it really is. No, nah, and like I said, I'm excited to see this one. It's, yeah, Thanksgiving week again. November 27th. With that, though, let's get into our college game reviews. Last week, we gave you three games to watch, including one FCS game. And since we kind of like to do our bonus games in a FBS, then FCS order, let's start with Doug's game here. And I'll uh, end it off with my game. Doug had Notre Dame, number 14 Notre Dame, at Virginia Tech. Man, Notre Dame still does not look like a good team. I think they're still kind of riding this uh, we're Notre Dame and that's why we're going to stay ranked thing here. And I think they got lucky in this one. They pull it out 32 to 28 in Blacksburg. Or Tug, did you get to see any of this one? I got to see the end of it. This game was really interesting. Uh, but it's not because both teams played well. Doug's got it right in his notes here. Neither team really played fantastically. Notre Dame was just able to put it together at the end of the game and uh, squeak it out. And that really starts to beg the question, what's the future going to hold for Justin Fuente here as the Hokies drop to three and two? Man, man, Brian Kelly's kind of in a weird position at uh, at Notre Dame as well. So it's, it's a very interesting time for both programs right now. 
No, it absolutely is. And I'm intrigued to see where both go. It's Notre Dame is about due for a new coach, one that can actually be successful, like genuinely successful, not marginally successful. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here. Virginia Tech's trying to get back to relevance. And man, Justin Fuente is holding on by a thread. Well, it's funny you say that. I think uh, I think Brian Kelly is like the winningest coach at Notre Dame at this point or somewhere close to that mark. Let's not forget Lou Holtz was still a coach there. I, I think he has more. I think I heard he was the winningest coach. Like, I think he has more win than Lou Holtz. But either way, this is not a Notre Dame podcast. Tug, your game was the Red River rivalry at the Texas State Fair. Played at the Cotton Bowl. Take it away. Uh, I fell for it. I absolutely fell for it. Genu- gen- generally speaking, when a team jumps out 28-7 to in the first quarter, you go, I know where this game is going. And then you kindly reminded me that this is the Red River rivalry and that I was probably wrong. And in that moment, about halfway through the second quarter, Oklahoma made a change at quarterback. When I tell you Spencer Rattler once again did not look good, could not move the ball, Texas was all over him defensively. They were all over uh, Oklahoma offensively in that first quarter. I mean it. It was 28 to seven after the first quarter. Then come, then here comes Caleb Williams and all of a sudden Texas is lost. They have now forgotten what defense is, despite the fact that they're playing the same offensive system. Um, and it, it truly became exactly what the Red River rivalry is known for. A high scoring game. Granted, the highest scoring iteration of this rivalry ever. 55 to 48. Oklahoma pulls it out. My big takeaway from this game is I'm looking at Lincoln Riley and I'm saying I do not see a way that you can start Spencer Rattler again in at, at all at Oklahoma. I, I just... Barring an injury to Caleb Williams, I do not see how you can start Spencer Rattler again. Um, he has not looked good all season. Caleb Williams comes in as a true freshman. Not only is it the highest scoring game in the Red River rivalry history, it's also the biggest comeback led by the true freshman out there in, uh, out there in Oklahoma. So, man, it's going to be hard to find any reason to start Spencer Rattler here. This kid is absolutely outstanding. Um I see it with Williams. I don't see it with Rattler. And to be honest with you guys, I never have. Uh, I've been singing that tune the entire time. But, hey, it is what it is. And OU pulled it out. And 103 total points is also the most scored in this rivalry matchup. (laughs) These two teams are going to be in the SEC in two years, five years, whatever it is. Going to be very interesting. But let's move on to my game, number eight, Southern Illinois University, going up to number two, South Dakota State, doing what they've done all season, coming from behind and winning the ball game. SDSU was up 20 to nothing after the first quarter, and even knowing how SIU has played, I thought, man, they might not be able to come back because South Dakota State has looked so dominant. They are such a good team. I think they finally got themselves in a position where they're not going to be able to pull this one out. But the dogs pulled a rabbit out of the hat, pun intended. <laughs> Going into halftime, it was 14 nothing, and you're or four, 20 to 14. You're feeling like, man, maybe they can get back into this. This game still went to overtime, though. 
And number two, South Dakota State showed why. Their defense was spotty in areas, but their goal line and short goal-to-go goal defense was astonishing. Oh, I SIU, I think it was the first or second drive of the second half, got all the way down to the one-yard line, one or two-yard line. Just a ridiculous direct snap. Looks like the running back's going to throw. And he played a little bit of quarterback last year, too. So not a huge deal for the dogs. Looks like he's going to throw, decides he's going to run, dives over a defender, and two guys meet him in the air. The ball goes flying. And the next thing you know, the camera's on a South Dakota State player who's running 99 yards the other way. And you're thinking, man, this is exactly what the Jackrabbits need to kind of slow the momentum, get it back in their favor. But it didn't really seem to phase SIU. They went and marched right back down the field. I think South Dakota State might have gotten a stop there, but it didn't matter. SIU was able to come all the way back, including an amazing catch by Landon Lenore for the Dogs. He had an just an absolute ballerina-style Oh, there it is. I think he even got two feet in. Amazing. And it was a great pass by the quarterback, too. Put it where only the Saluki's receiver could get it. South Dakota State went, you know, uh, couldn't do anything to keep it from going to overtime. I think SIU squibbed it, kicked it short enough, was able to get a stop, and then they kneeled it, just played for overtime. And like another game that I think we're going to highlight here later, they went for the win. SIU scored, got the extra point. They're up seven after the first frame of overtime. South Dakota State decided, no, we're going to try and win it, which at home I don't really get. But, hey, I'm not the coach. And SIU defended that ball as good as possible. And that was that. I mean, it was just absolutely insane. Both of these teams are going to make deep playoff runs. And – I got to say, too, before we get on, get off of this game, shout out to Xavion Furkron, a offensive lineman for the SIU Salukis, named Offensive Lineman of the Week, third time in his career for the Missouri Valley Conference Offensive Player of the Week for Xavion Furkron. I do got to say, South Dakota State didn't help themselves quite a bit. They had a few too many turnovers for what I would have liked. I believe their quarterback threw what you could probably confirm this. I'm doing this off the top of my head, two or three interceptions in that game. And and that's going to hurt you. That's going to change the tide of the game. And ultimately it probably did. Um, even on that last two point conversion, if he had waited and showed patience for another half second longer, this game goes the other direction. Um, you and I he were talking about that, but I think he got a little bit of happy feet. I think he had some pressure coming at him. Yep. SI, this was a another pun intended here. Dogfight, right? <laughs> These two teams, man, SIU, I think is better than number eight, and I've said that. And I think the only reason they haven't gotten that is because of the loss to Kansas State. But this game, I think, puts them squarely back into that conversation. No, it, it absolutely does, and I, I'm a firm believer that these two are going to meet again either in the Missouri Valley Championship, if not there, probably in the playoffs. You you did it, buddy. You got back to 500. I am, 
I am proud of you for crawling your way out of the cellar. If only Virginia Tech wouldn't have fucked it, I'd have gone undefeated this week. But yes, I I'm, I went two and one. Doug went two and one, missing by picking South Dakota State. And same story for you. Uh, actually, you missed. Wait, I did that backwards. Y'all only got one game right because you picked South Dakota State and Texas. Correct. Oof, brutal. Just brutal. What do you have so- to say for yourselves? I was so excited. Well, well, what do I have to say for myself? Clearly, if you look at the rest of how college football turned out this week, predicting this this week was a 50-50 coin toss. I actually said that on Saturday to lock in my excuse. <laughs> no, it's, man, any of these games, literally any of these games, one play goes a different way, one ball bounces a different direction, and you flip our scores. Like, these were all fantastic games to watch. They were all one possession, you know, down to the wire games. And that's absolutely fantastic. I will say though, some bonus games we had to watch this week before we get to upsets. Iowa over Penn state. We knew that was going to be a great matchup. Everybody knew it was going to be a great matchup. Anytime you get number three versus number four. I I hope Penn state's quarterback is okay. Clifford went out, I believe in the third quarter, um, and I hate to say it, but you like saying this too. That is the reason he went out is the reason the Aaron Rodgers rule exists in the NFL with the body weight. Um, that's, that's going to be a brutal loss for Penn state. If he, if he's out for any significant time. Absolutely. But even that I w- you know, Penn state's defense made it tough on the Hawkeyes. I will oh, absolutely have to battle back the entire game and, you know, home field advantage is a real thing in college football. Ultimately, I think that's why they got it done. Man, it's that fourth quarter wave, I'm telling you. Another great game was Ole Miss over Arkansas. Arkansas, on the road, decided to go for the win in overtime. Makes sense. That's what I would do, too. Just didn't quite work. They were ready. The Ole Miss defense was ready for the rollout. They were ready for the pass where uh, – Man, I can't think of the dude's name. He made some amazing plays, too, and now I've forgotten his name. <laughs> uh, quarterback for Arkansas, though. If I think of it here, look it up. K.J. Jefferson. K.J. Jefferson. He was he kept the Hogs in this game by himself. And, man, you just really feel for a guy like that So after a loss like that. But I'm positive Sam Pittman's going to have this team back better than ever. I think we're looking at the absolute return and resurgence of Arkansas football here. I, I, I do too. Uh, and I hate to backtrack. I did forget one thing with the Iowa Penn state game. It's that Iowa stormed the field after the win. And I can't think of the last time that I've seen the, uh, you know, higher ranked team storming the field after they win, but this was well-deserved and I'm highlighting that for, for a reason when we get into the upsets. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand that for sure. Last great game we had this weekend, Wake Forest over Syracuse. And I've been saying this all season. People need to start talking about Sam Hartman more. And I've been so caught up on Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. Sam Hartman is quietly having an amazing season at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, of all places. Give the man the respect he deserves. No, absolutely. Wake Forest came out slow again. They were able to put it together through the game, which is what your top teams do, and that's why they're, yeah, are they the lone undefeated team in the uh, ACC right now? 
I would have to I believe, look. I believe they are. I'd have to look to be 100% sure, but I would not be surprised. I've said it before. I think the ACC champion is going to have two losses, and I would not be surprised at all if that comes true. Wake Forest is the lone undefeated team in the ACC at this point. Yep. Matter of fact, there's only three one-loss teams, Boston College, North Carolina State, and Pittsburgh. <laughs> Clemson's not on that list. Clemson is not on that list. It's, <laughs> it's a brutal year in the ACC. Uh, yeah, you like, know what? All of like, these FCF games, all these FCFs games, besides Jacksonville over Stephen F. Austin, are upsets in my opinion. Even Fair if Jackson, Jacksonville State was the higher-ranked seed or lower-ranked seed, Great, you know, they beat Stephen F. Austin 28-24. Great matchup there. But, yeah, what do you say? We get into our upsets here. Oh, let's do it, man. Our first upset, of course, Texas A&M over Alabama. The unranked Aggies beating the number one undefeated, hadn't lost to an unranked team in 100 tries, Alabama Crimson Tide. Lose on a last-second field goal, the bane of Nick Saban's existence, college kickers, 41 to 38. And what what happened after he nailed that field goal? So so before we get there, I want to highlight all of the storylines that have ended here. You, you name the first one, the undefeated streak against uh, unranked teams sitting at 100 even. They had, I think, a 19-game winning streak going into this game. And then you have the low-known one, which is, Nick Saban, prior to that game on Saturday, had never lost to a former assistant. Texas A&M took all of those, stomped on them, and said, mm, none of these exist anymore. Uh, and as a result, off the foot of Seth Small, Texas A&M wins the game. And my God, people, I am telling you, this is why I love college football. There were more people per square inch in that field than exist in New York city. And that is telling you exactly how packed that was. Now, the reason I, I'm highlighting this, this storming of the field and why I highlighted the one over in, in Iowa is very specific because Texas A&M is almost certainly facing a fine has not been announced yet. Probably sitting at the 250 K mark yet. The big 10 doesn't find their teams for storming the field. The Big Ten allows their schools to have fun. Why? Because there's nothing you can do when a 100,000 drunk college kids decide that the field now belongs to them because the team won a game they weren't supposed to. Just let these people have fun. It's what college is about, and oh my God, did Texas A&M have fun. I would have I loved to be on that campus Saturday night and then probably Sunday night knowing that Monday was a holiday just to see all the parties that popped up for no reason. You think they're not partying right now? Oh, whether, I know they are. You know, whether yeah, I'm talking about Monday or when you listen to this on Wednesday, they're probably still partying about this one. Football team probably isn't. They're probably getting Cou ready for the next game. But Couch fire parties, piano burns, all of it. All of it in one weekend is just going to be a fantastic thing to experience. I, I love it. Love everything about it. Another upset, though, that probably didn't get as much attention because of the teams involved is Boise State <laughs> beating BYU. 
it was getting the attention. Then Texas A&M showed up and said, hold on, watch this. Yeah, I mean, it's – man, Boise State has had such an interesting season. You know, maybe their reign of terror in the Mountain West was going to be over. Maybe they weren't as good as some people were thinking they were going to be. And then they go and do this to BYU, who's looked very unbeatable. Granted, a couple of their wins have been against Pac-12 opponents, so I guess that probably plays into that a little bit, huh? <laughs> Uh, man, I did not expect this one. Boise State, like you said, has been so hit or miss. Uh, it seems like they struggle against the opponents they should be able to handle, and then they succeed against these Power 5 schools. Uh, two of their, I believe, four wins at this point are against... Uh, oh, no, they did lose to Oklahoma State, but either they kept it real close, and that probably could have and should have gone their way if the refs let that fumble play out the way you're supposed to and let the replay call it back. Um but, man, this was a decisive victory over BYU, one I did not expect. And, man, this is telling for, for the Cougars if they end up in the Big 12. 26-17. to 17. Man, got to love the grit from BYU. But, you know, Boise pulled one out of the hat here. Going to our FCS upsets, I have talked about a few times how Delaware can't put it together all the time and uh, they didn't this weekend either they lost to Rhode Island 22 to 15 I know you got a little state pride in that one yeah that's that <laughs> little state pride <laughs> um that no absolutely not intentional <laughs> absolutely it's not often I get to shout out the roadie Rams so uh, it's good to see him succeed here they have been a very poor college program for the entirety of my life so I'm excited to see them start doing something, be ranked in the FCS again, I believe. Um, and, you know, pull an upset like this over Delaware. Our next one is Villanova over JMU, 28-27. to Villanova is a very good football team as well. However, JMU is still better. And you got to recognize that when talking about these two teams. Man, just a just a crazy week for college football because that's not it. Idaho State beats UC Davis twenty-seven to seventeen. VMI riding a wave of what was their first ever conference championship last season, thirty-seven to thirty-four. And then we already talked about it: it's Jacksonville State over Stephen F. Austin twenty-eight twenty-four. Absolutely a crazy week, not just in the FBS but in the FCS. There is good football everywhere you look sometimes you just gotta look a little bit harder no absolutely but with that let's get into our players to watch here i went with jj russell the linebacker out of memphis only had five total tackles two of those were solo tackles and by and large that's because the golden hurricane the tulsa golden hurricane not golden showers golden hurricane they weren't moving the ball in his direction. They were running the opposite way. They weren't throwing when they didn't have to. Makes it a little difficult for a guy like him to have a big game. And uh, like the rest of the Memphis defense, tough to watch at, at times. Doug, however, had Keaton Mitchell running back for East Carolina playing against UCF. It's a tough draw. We both kind of took, we both kind of acknowledged that last week when we took these players as well. And, man, I 
It's tough because UCF did not look fantastic. They still don't look fantastic. Aside from Cincinnati, I think the Americans wide open, and that's what we learned more from this East Carolina UCF games, watching Keaton Mitchell play more than anything, in my opinion. Yeah, it's that's a tough one. He, he had a rough game, and it happens. It's going to happen to freshmen. Uh, I highlighted our fair, first big dude in the trenches uh, this week. I took Tyler Linderbaum, center out of Iowa. Man, it did not look good to start the game, but Iowa put together 305 total yards in their comeback bid, 195 through the air, 110 on the ground. Again, not fantastic stats, but, man, he is the heart and soul of this line, and for them to still get that against Penn State's defense is absolutely fantastic. Well, that's enough talking about college games, though. We had some other games going on this week, and that's right. I'm talking about the NFL. We'll start with our games to watch here. My game was the San Francisco 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals, a great NFC West matchup. We talked about how this is potentially the best division in all of the NFL this year. This game proved to hold on to that, I guess, if you want to put it like that. 49ers lost this one 10-17, to and it looked like the Cardinals were going to run away with this one. They were up 10-7 to at halftime, and there were points in the first half where you thought maybe they could really get a stranglehold on this game, but that 49ers defense was stifling. They were getting to Kyler Murray, making his day tough. Man, this was tight all the way to the end. 49ers made it 7-10, to but the Cardinals got another touchdown and sealed this one. I, I said it last week, and you know maybe, maybe we overestimated the Rams a little bit because I did not expect this in this game. I don't know, man. I, I still like the Cardinals an awful lot. You know, we talked about uh, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Tampa Bay earlier. I think the Cardinals are really good team this year they're definitely not going to let what happened to them last year happen again this year you you hope not they do sit as the last uh undefeated team in the nfl and they maintain that this weekend um and you can't fault them for having a rough game like this it's going to happen you have 17 games in the season this year you're going to stumble once or twice you just hope that you can still come on come out on top when that happens and the cardinals did this week that's it's about as good of a bad game as you can hope for Doug's game, though, Jesus was Christ, kind of like the Red River rivalry at the end. What was it? 42 points scored in the fourth quarter between these it, two teams? It was something like that. Neither defense wanted to win that game. We're talking about Cleveland and Los Angeles, the Chargers, that is. Man, Baker Mayfield's really starting to look like he deserves as much respect as Kirk Cousins gets. Decent QB. He won't win you the game by himself, but man, he can get the job done when he's called upon. And uh, got to tip your tap to Doug here, Justin Herbert. When he's right, he's right. It's it's just insane. It is insane how this game ended because up to the fourth quarter, it looked like the Browns were going to win this one. No, absolutely. Uh, and I have already expressed to you that I feel your pain with all of the graphics uh, that you used to see with Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and Mitch Trubisky. I'm now feeling that personally with 
Justin Herbert and Tua. Uh, it's it's a tough situation, man. Uh, I'm glad he's be, he's successful out there. I'm glad he's lighting it up. But God damn, can someone play defense? And Baker Mayfield, can you please execute a game-winning drive? The problem was I think they ran out of timeouts because 42-47. So to paint the picture here, Justin Herbert led the game-winning – what would be the game-winning drive here. And because – you know, they were only up five after the touchdown. They had to go for two. Otherwise, a touchdown. No, they, they missed the kick. Oh, no, they did try to go for two. They That's went right. for yeah. two because a touchdown extra point would only put them up six. And then an, a PAT kick wins the game for the Browns. So I understood why they went for two there. Flip side of that is, though, you don't get the two-point conversion, then you just lose on a touchdown. But I guess I could swallow that one a little bit more than I could swallow losing by one point because of a PAT that I could have gone for two on different story. I think the Browns were out of timeouts and they, they couldn't get anything going. They couldn't move the offense at all comes down to a jump ball that the way things happened, there was some incidental contact. I don't remember which receiver went down. Might've been uh, Donovan people's Jones, or maybe he was the one that had the chance. He, the Browns had a chance all the way to the very end to make a play on that ball and just weren't able to, it was, it was crazy. It it was a great ending to the game. Assuming you don't mind that there was no defense. Yeah, no, that's, it was a fantastic ending. Um, Unlike my game, uh, which apparently none of the kickers on either side of the field wanted to win. I think they missed a combined four or five field goals in the fourth quarter and overtime. Um, Absolutely insane. So Green Bay, Cincinnati, Green Bay does pull it out on a field goal, surprisingly, uh, 25-22. But I was for sure in the mindset that this was going to be the first NFL uh, tie game of the year uh, with the way that this OT was looking. Man, Packers came out hot, then Cincinnati got hot. Both kickers missed a ton of field goals, as I already said, and then Mason Crosby finally puts one in to seal the deal for Green Bay. Um, I was stressful because I needed this game, apparently, to go 3-0, and it worked for me, so I'm a happy camper. So, at 2.14 left in the fourth quarter, Mason Crosby missed a field goal. That would have put the Packers up three. And with 26 seconds left in the game, Evan McPherson misses a 75-yard field goal for the Bengals. That would have put them in the lead. But Did you say a 75-yard field goal? 57-yard. Okay. Uh, but, you know, 26 seconds would have been too much time for Aaron Rodgers anyway, right? So, yeah, right. You know, what a, it wouldn't have mattered. But with one second left on the clock, Mason Crosby misses a 51-yard field goal, and we're going to overtime. We're up to three. Uh, the – Bengals get the ball first, and on the first pass, Joe Burrow is intercepted at the Cincinnati 30-yard line. So you're thinking, hey, this game's already done. We've got this. 40-yard field goal. Mason Crosby misses that one. We're up to four. We're up to four. Bengals get the ball back. Evan McPherson gets another shot at redemption. 49-yard field goal. He missed it. The best part about this one is he was celebrating on the field as if he had made it and then looked confused when the refs were waving it off. Yep. 
Yep. And just to show you how close we were to a tied ball game, it was with two minutes left that Mason Crosby kicked the game-winning field goal. Two minutes left of the 10-minute overtime period. Special teams are absolutely special. and uh, They were not in this game. Not in the slightest. But that, that leaves us with our results from this weekend. I went 3-0. and Doug needs to trust his gut uh, a little bit more than what he has been because if he had, he'd be 3-0. and uh, And then you went 2-1 uh, and because you can't pick the Packers. I refuse to pick the Packers. That is absolutely true. But I'm fine with it. I'm still in a – I wouldn't say a commanding lead, but I've got a pretty good lead here. Yeah, you got a three-game lead right now. But what do you what do you say we look on to our players to watch this week? Oh, you want to cover? Oh. We have a couple bonus games here. One I want to highlight is I am really intrigued, and I want to follow this for the rest of the season to see exactly how many times the Lions can lose nineteen to seventeen on fifty plus yard field goals at the end of the game. We're well, up to see, two. Did you see Dan Campbell crying in a press conference? I, I I fall on the side of appreciating that. There's no reason to hide it. Like your team just wanted to play their heart out and you you got beat at the last second again. That's when that's happened twice now, that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, and the other thing too, when the Vikings are kicking a field goal to win the game, you gotta feel pretty good about your chances there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then you realize you too are in the NFC North, and that means kicks never go the way you want them to. <laughs> Uh, This is kind of odd for us, too. We're actually recording after Monday Night Football, so go ahead. Oh, my God. The Colts were 120-0 when leading by 16 or more points in the fourth quarter since they moved to Indianapolis. (laughs) They are now 120-1 because two fourth-quarter touchdowns to Mark Andrews with two two two-point conversions to Mark Andrews tied the game to allow the Ravens to send it to overtime, allowed me to win my fantasy matchup. Um, And then Lamar Jackson does it yet again to Hollywood Brown for 10 yards and six on the first drive of overtime. Lamar Jackson threw, I think 42 passes today and missed six. Put up some ice. Yeah. Put, put, Put up, I think 437 yards as a passer tonight so that's our career record for him also notably the ravens have now lost their 100 yard game streak uh, 100 rushing yards per game streak uh they did not reach that mark today insanity absolute insanity glad you caught me on that i was totally looking at it as i was talking about going to our players to watch this week but now we're here so let's do it. I picked Cordero Patterson. Had an amazing week last week. And I got to say, that wasn't the main reason I wanted to pick him. Everywhere else that he's been, whether it's Minnesota, Green or uh, New England, Chicago, he's mainly just been a returner. Nobody's really been able to unlock everything this guy could do. The Bears looked like they were trying to. Out of desperation, though, because of injuries they sustained at running back last year. And he's really proven just how amazing of a player he is. Man, this week, 14 carries for 54 yards, seven receptions on nine targets for 60 yards. Even 0-1-1 on 
on passing this week. You know, mix that in a little bit as well. Great game in London. I it, it's crazy. I love seeing what he's able to do because, like I said, he's obviously very talented, a very athletic man, and this is the first time people are really getting to see just how much he can do on the football field and just how much he can affect the game. No, absolutely. He had a fantastic game yet again. Um, man, he is he is special. Uh, and like you said, I don't think a lot of people used him in the role that the, the Falcons are, but because he can do a little bit of everything, he might not be, you know, fantastic at one thing or another, but because he can do a little bit of everything, he is so useful on the football field. He is absolutely a utility knife. That brings us to Doug's player, Ezekiel Elliott. Man, I he was good. He was good. He, it's it's vintage Zeke again. He's just not getting the recognition he was his rookie year. One, because he's not a rookie. Two, because he's not having those big flashy plays anymore. Uh, he's really just getting it done, but he's getting it done efficiently. Not freaky efficient, like running for 70-yard scores, but he's getting his job done properly. Well, and I, I want to highlight, too, part of the problem for Zeke is that Jerry Jones is not an idiot and he knows that Tony Pollard's not going to want to resign with that team if he doesn't see the field. So they've had to split carries had to split game time between these two guys because you do have two amazing athletes and man, Zeke's great. Pollard's great. The Cowboys are looking great. It's, it's a crazy time. Uh, the Cowboys were looking fantastic last. Everyone seems to forget that that before Dak went down, the Cowboys were looking really good coming out of that NFC East. It seems like everyone has forgotten about that and fell in love with Washington's defense, which I understand. But Dak is back, and that right. offense is back to what it was, and that is you cannot overstate what that means for the Cowboys. Well, the other thing that was the big Achilles heel for the Cowboys on top of losing Dak the defense was just not there and now they are it's look out for the Cowboys it's scary to see yep who was your player I took Super Bowl Lenny Lombardi Lenny any way you want to say it I took Leonard Fournette in my game he did not get stats as high as I expected him to he went uh 63 yards on 23 carries uh added a score uh rushing touchdown on top and then he Caught four passes for 43 yards. Like I said, not as good of a game as I expected, but he still went for 110 scrimmage yards against Miami. The Bucks still put up 120 rushing yards against Miami. Um, and that offense was rolling again, man. It It's a tough situation. Um, Miami's defense does not look like what it was. We're going through a very Washington-esque situation. Um and the Bucks are just impossible. They like you. You've already said they have so many weapons. You, you you can't choose one. It's literally terrifying. And then we have to deal with vintage AB. For some reason, this is the game he decided to show up for. No Gronk, no problem. That was the Bucks this week. Well, Tug, I think you got one thing for us before we uh, completely get off of here. I think we got to intro our bracket time segment this week. What do you say? I, I think it is that time, and this is going to be a fun one this week. Uh, running down our matchups, we're going to have Reggie Bush versus Pete Dawkins, RG3 versus Chris Weinke, 
Tony Dorsett versus Paul Horning, Johnny Manziel versus Ernie Davis, Charlie Ward versus John Capaletti, Angelo Bertelli versus Frank Sinkwich, Lamar Jackson versus Carson Palmer, and Devontae Smith versus Tom Harmon. This is going to be a fantastic week. I'm excited to get into some of these conversations. I think I can predict a few of them just based on the names, but hey, I'll leave that to you guys. I'm excited for it. It's definitely going to be some interesting conversations here. Really starting to see an interesting blend of generations here. That's going to make things pretty tough between stat differences, gameplay differences. Man. Positional uh, differences. Positional differences. Yeah. And then just, just name recognition. Like, we're not immune to that either. It's it's going to be exciting to see how all of this plays out. I got to say, though, glad to do this episode. Can't wait to have Doug back later in the week. Before but, you get in, before you get into your into your uh, parting shot here, let me just shout out our links real quick. We got patreon.com slash BDT football, twitter.com slash BDT football, facebook.com slash BDT football. Uh, our website's bdtfootball.com, where you can find Ben's uh, blog that he just put out and then mailbox at bdtfootball.com if you just want to email us. That's right. Like you said, uh, it's Monday, so I have released my Week 5 reaction to Chicago Bears. You want to see everything I got to say about the game this past week? Go check it out there. Really nothing else to say on that on that note because... I'm not talking about the Bears as much as I, you know, as much as I you was. You want to? I I do not. I have very strong opinions about something, but that's all in the uh, in the blog. So go check it out. Before we leave, though, we'll leave you with, with an interesting fact here. Dolphins are completely unable to smell. I'm, I'm for some reason I'm expecting something else to come from that. But it's probably for the best because, God damn it, we stink. Um, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have in the show. Thank you for listening. And just remember, you can't win a game. You can't win a